Thanks for tuning in to Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. All right, this is the last week of our series, Cliff Notes. If you haven't been here for the first few weeks, I hope you'll go back and kind of listen in on the podcast, catch up. Um, a lot of times we're doing a series, like one long sermon over several weeks. That's not the case for this series. These are kind of four standalone sermons because we're looking at these different encounters with God on, tops, on the tops of mountains in the Bible. And uh, so we've looked at um, Abraham and his son going to the top of the mountain. We've looked at Moses and the people of Israel when Moses went up to get the commandments or the law from God written down stone tablets. And um, we looked at a story of Elijah last week where he was all by himself in the cave on the side of a mountain. And this week we're going to look into the New Testament. Peter, James, and John are going to go up this mountain with Jesus and take a look at that. But um, before we do that, I just want to recap. I've been doing this each week of the series. Kind of my definition of a mountaintop moment. You don't have to be on top of a mountain physically to have one. Um, but it's these uh, spiritual encounters with God, these times of spiritual clarity when the distractions of life seem to fade away and the realities of God's presence come into sharper focus for you. And so uh, you could be in your car, you could be uh, in your bed, you could be on your couch, you could be in the middle of a class or at your job and have these moments of spiritual clarity where you kind of wake up and you think like, man, I never even thought that about God before or, or man, is this all that life is? Kind of a, uh, I don't know, just an awakening, right? An awakening in your life and, and you can have those anywhere. And so but in the Bible, we're looking at these moments where people went up on top of physical mountains and had these kind of short interactions with God that changed them, changed their relationship with him, changed their life moving forward from that time. And uh, so we're looking at those, and that's kind of what we're doing in this series. And so I hope you've kind of grabbed some stuff from it about your faith, how you can take another step in your faith or grow in your relationship with the Lord or maybe just change the way you think about God in general. And uh, I've been like, I've been, somebody at our house has been sick for like six and a half weeks, it feels like, or maybe six and a half years, kind of what it feels like at this point. And uh, it's been me like the last two weeks, and I cannot get over it. And then you go to the doctor, and they like think you're like foolish for even being there. Like, I just have to wait it out. My God, like, I'll just wait it out, I guess. But so uh, I'm still sick today, but I'm, I'm hoping to get over I'm hoping to give whatever sickness I got to like all the college students at my house on Wednesday nights. But somehow I keep getting it, and none of them get sick, so I don't know what's going on, but... Quite a few people in our church right now sick, actually, so um, just kind of pray for us that we'll heal up. And, uh, and before we kind of dig into this sermon today, I just wanted to share kind of a blessing from God. Some of you have been here for a while. You know that, like, we were starting to run out of chairs, and so we were going to buy some this week, and I happened to have a conversation with a guy, and an organization that um, isn't connected to our church at all decided they were going to buy 50 chairs for us this week. And uh, it doesn't seem like much to you maybe, but that's $2,100 is how much that costs. And so they're just going to buy, oh, uh, is that us? Are we that, are we that church? Are we the round of applause church now? Is that what we are? Really? Oh, I didn't know we were that, so okay. All right. Oh, only for money? So we, we only clap for money? Brad? Is Brad here? But um, uh, so anyhow, that was like a huge blessing this week. That, um, so they may be a few weeks getting here, but um, we got 50 more chairs kind of on their way, free of charge, courtesy of... Uh, an unnamed organization by way of God and the Holy Spirit, I hope. But um, so hopefully those will show up soon and we'll get to kind of benefit from those. We won't have to keep stealing the chairs from all the kids and let them sit down in their classes too. But So um, we can't cover this, everything that needs to be covered today. We're just going to look at a little piece of scripture 
But if you want to follow along in your Bible, we'll be most of the time in Matthew chapter 16 and 17 today. The verses will all be on the screen, but if you want to follow along on your own, that's where we'll be, Matthew 16 and 17. But let me just give you a little bit of background, right? So Jesus, when he would travel around from town to town, um, he, was, he was kind of like a, a celebrity, right? And so people would show up to hear him speak or to see him do miracles or tricks, you know, to see Jesus do the next kind of big trick. And so he was pretty famous at this point. And, um, and, and he would teach in a unique way. It was, it was almost confusing for a lot of the people that would listen to him. Um, he would teach, and that's unfortunate right there, but so uh, he, would, um, he would teach in these stories. We call them today parables, right? But they're these stories that are about everyday life, but they have kind of like a hidden or a deeper meaning behind them about heaven or the realities of God's kingdom. And so he would use these stories to teach, and a lot of times he'd get to the end of a story and the people listening would be almost confused or almost like befuddled. Even, even those who loved him and were following him, his closest friends and followers, they were often really confused by these stories. They'd hear him talking about bread, but he'd really be talking about the word of God. They'd hear him talking about yeast, uh, a little bit of yeast, but he was really kind of describing the effects sin can have on your life. He'd be telling a story about jewelry, and, and then before you get, and, and then at the end, you find out like he's really talking about what the kingdom of God is like. And it was confusing to them. And so a lot of times when Jesus was teaching, when he got finished, he would take his closest followers, we call them apostles today, but his closest disciples, he would pull them off to the side and he would explain to them what he meant by the story he told so that they would really understand it. And, uh, and that was kind of how he operated. But, but a lot of times they didn't really get it. And, and I feel like that's me a lot of times. You, you may feel that same way. Maybe you read through the Bible or you come to church and you hear a sermon and you kind of walk away thinking like, I didn't really get that. I don't really understand what's even being read or said there, you know. And so if that's you, you're in good company. That's everybody that Jesus talked to. They were all often confused by the things he says. So us being confused or not getting the full picture, understanding, that doesn't make us any different. And uh, so then this, this story we're going to look at today, Jesus kind of makes a paradigm shift or a change in his approach to teaching. And he is um, about six months away from when he's going to be executed. And, and he actually is going to say this in the passage we're going to look at, that he's going to change the way he's going to teach or talk to his closest followers for these last six months of his life on earth. He's going to do something a little different. And, and in the context of that change, he's going to have a mountaintop moment. He's going to take his three closest friends in this world, Peter, James, and John, and he's going to march them up a mountain to be off by themselves to teach them something, to show them something, yes, but really to teach them something deeper. And he's going to do it in a brand new way that he hadn't done before. And uh, I hope that we're going to get something out of it too. And so this is perhaps the hardest lesson his followers had to learn. It might be, honestly, a little easier for us than it was for them. We have an advantage they didn't have. We have the advantage of hindsight. This stuff was all still future tense for them. And so... Um, Maybe that's you. You feel like, I just struggle to understand God's word. I want you to know you're in a good place today. And so I hope I can do what Jesus did in this passage and just transition to teaching you a brand new way, to giving you the same truth he had been sharing, but in a way that he thought would be easier for everybody to understand, in a way he thought would be more clear, more plain. He's going to make it plain, 
right? He's going to make his plan plain to everybody listening. So let me kind of read you the beginning of it. You have to go back to Matthew chapter 16 in verse 21. Here's what it says. From then on, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law, and he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. This is the plan, okay? And they don't get it. Now, maybe it's easier for you to understand than it was for them, but this was Jesus' plan all along, to show up and then to be abused and mistreated and to suffer, to die, but then three days later rise from the dead. Now, anybody that's been in church in America, you know, in this generation, you've probably heard this concept before. Jesus was going to live a perfect life. He was going to die on the cross, and he was going to rise from the dead. But these guys, for them, it was like foreign. They didn't get it. They didn't like it. They didn't, they didn't anytime Jesus did kind of make mention of it or talk about it, they were confused. And in fact, right after Jesus said this, the next paragraph, we won't read it today, but if you read verses 22 and 23, the next paragraph, Peter actually starts to correct Jesus. He's like, no, Jesus, you're not going to suffer. You're not going to die. You're not going to be executed. This is crazy talk. And Jesus is like, yo, you're like Satan. He calls him Satan. It's like, get behind me, Satan. It's like, get out of my way. This is the plan. And it's like one thing to like call your friend a jerk. It's like a whole other thing to call your friend the devil. You know what I mean? And so Jesus is like, get behind me, devil. He's like, this is the plan. I'm trying to tell you plainly, this isn't just like God's going to take these nasty, bad circumstances and make them work out for good. This isn't like, oh, it's going to kind of happen against my will, but God will figure out a way to work the plan through it. No, this is the actual blueprint that I was coming just for this, to show up and to suffer and die but then to rise from the dead three days later. And so he's kind of to everybody around, like, if you don't get it, get out of the way. If you don't get it at this point, get out of the way, right? And then he's going to do some more plain talk. And I've shared this passage quite a bit with our church, but in verse 24, then he looks at his disciples and he says this, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross. Give up your own way. Give up your plan you got to get your plan out of the way. you got to take on my plan. Take up your cross. That's a euphemism in that time for be willing to die. The preferred method of execution for the Roman Empire was crucifixion. And so take up your cross was just a euphemism that just meant willing to die. So Jesus is like, if you want to be my follower, you got to give up your own way, your own plan, your own way of thinking. you got to be willing to die and actually follow me, not just say you follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now put that in context for a second. Jesus is like, guys, I just, no more him-haw, no more like beating around the bush, no more kind of like, you know, giving you clues and hints and then explain it to you later. Just let me cut to the chase. Let me speak it as plainly as I can. I'm about to go suffer and die. But then three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. No, Lord. No, it's never going to happen. I won't let it happen, Peter says. He's like, get out of my way, Peter. This is the plan. 
If you want to be my follower, you got to put aside all the plans and ways you've been thinking and accept my plan as the right plan. Get out of the way if you're not going to. This is the plan. That you give up everything you are and you adopt everything Jesus says you should be. That you stop believing what you want is the most important and you start embracing that what Jesus wants is all that matters. This is the plan of discipleship. This is following Jesus. You can't just say I follow Jesus because I'm a member at a church or because I've been to so many church services or because I'm a pretty good person. None of that matters. You give up all of that. Peter, I know your plan. Your plan is like you're sick of being a slave. I get it. Who would want to be ruled by the Roman Empire? Who would want to be ruled today by anybody else? Who? Nobody. And so he's like, I'm ready, Jesus. I'm ready to fight for you. I'm ready to go to war for you. Let's do this thing right now. Let's overthrow Rome and let God set you up as the king and we'll rule and reign with you and you're in charge of everything. And yeah, I'm on board with all that glory, with all that goodness. And Jesus is like, Calling a 30. It's not going to happen like that. It's not going to go down the way you think it's going to go down. I'm going to suffer instead. I'm going to die, but then I'm going to rise from the dead. That's what's coming next. And if you're not on board, get out of the way. And if you really want to say you're my follower, then you got to give up all the plans and dreams and ways you've been thinking, and you got to instead adopt all mine. That's what's going on in this passage. He's trying to make it as plain as he can to them. No more time for playing games. It's going to cost you everything. And I myself am going to suffer and die for this plan. And some of you, when you came to Jesus, you came for the sweets. And then if you really read God's word, or if you really went to a church that preached the truth, somewhere along the way you found out God keeps spoon-feeding you a bunch of vegetables. And you may not like it, but it is the plan. Because I don't like sacrifice, and I don't like giving up my own thoughts, and giving up my own ways, and walking away from relationships that I want. I don't like sacrificing or giving up my money. I don't like leveraging all I am for the Lord. If I'm being quite honest this morning with all of you, who I hope love me a little bit, unless you're brand new, you might not know me, that might be creepy to you, I'm sorry. But like, if you're here, and you've been here for a while, and you already love me, it's like, if I can be quite honest, like I'd rather be at home in bed right now. Just be you honest, know, I feel like garbage. Can't hardly stop coughing. I'm real weak. I'm a little sweaty right now. I don't like sweating. Right? But it's like this is the plan. I don't matter. I'm removing myself from the equation to do it the Jesus way. And there is no such thing as salvation without surrender. It doesn't exist. And so Jesus is trying to make his plan plain to them. And now he's going to back it up with this mountaintop moment. So you get to the beginning of chapter 17. And Jesus is going to take Peter, James, and John. They're going to go up this mountain. And I want you to see what happens. It's a passage that I think has been mistaught to me many times in my life. I'm going to do my best to be true and honorable to the text of God. But Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. 
About a week later, or six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. Verse 2, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Okay. The, the actual word there in some translation would be transfigured, not transformed. But <coughs> it's really from a Greek word that means metamorphosis, right? It's like a kind of a two-piece two word there, meta and morphos. And it really means like your body is changed. So Jesus reveals something to his closest friends on top of this mountain. It's his glory. Uh, and this passage kind of made me think of Philippians chapter 2. I'm not going to show you that today. You can check it out on your own. But in Philippians chapter 2, you get this description of everything Jesus gave up to come here and be a human being. He gave up all of his, his glory in heaven to come here and be this human being. I'm not going to dig into that too much. We're going to cover that passage actually on Easter Sunday this coming year, Philippians chapter 2. But I just wanted to kind of made me think of that. That Jesus set aside all of his glory and all the riches of heaven to come become, just to become like us, a human. And for one brief moment here, he's going back. He's undoing the skin that covers him, and he's showing them the glory that's underneath, the, the glory that was him before he became human, the heavenly appearance of him. And, and the only description you get in this passage is that his face was shining so bright. It was like the sun, and his clothes became so bright, they were like just completely white right? Like a washout. And they see this happening to Jesus. They, they see him being transfigured or transformed before them. It's hard to even imagine what that would look like or what that would be like in that moment if somebody did that, if somebody just suddenly became like this light you could barely look at. And that's what Jesus does in front of them, to show them something. And often this gets taught in church that the purpose of this encounter was for Jesus to show them his glory. And that actually did happen here. But I don't think that was the purpose. I think we'll see it in the text here. But So Jesus transforms in front of them. He's shining as bright as he can. And then look at verse 3 with me. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, if you read and study the Bible like me, this verse creates like a whole lot of like questions or like what, what's going on here? I wish you could know more. Like what was going on here? Why did these guys show up? Moses and Elijah, they're gone. Moses died. Elijah was taken into heaven a thousand years earlier. Like what are they even doing here? And then when you dig deeper into the text, and we're going to do that in just a second, but let me just tell you first and we'll look at it together, okay? So if you were trying to communicate something to New Testament era Jews, there would be no two better witnesses to back up what you're saying than these two guys, Moses and Elijah. They were, Moses was probably the, the best king Israel ever had. He wasn't even a king. But he led them for decades and, 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 and delivered them out of slavery and, and took them to the promised land that God had given them. And, and, and uh, Moses and Elijah are probably the two characters that, that embodied God's power the most. The miracles they did were like the greatest miracles of all the Old Testament prophets. They're raising people from the dead and they're parting rivers and seas and they're just doing these amazing things. Elijah, we talked about last week a little bit, right? Praying and God gives famine to the land for three and a half years and praying again and God sends rain and just 
supernaturally like calling down fire from heaven to consume this offering and then single-handedly killing 850 false prophets. And so these guys, in the mind of a New Testament Jewish person, would be like the most credible sources, right? Former leaders. Uh, Moses was given the law of God. And then Elijah really spent his life kind of defending all those who would be like infidels against that law, all those who would be worshiping idols and disobeying that law. And so here these two guys show up and they are talking to Jesus. Now the text doesn't say, I have no clue how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. If you showed me a picture of somebody who lived a thousand years ago and there was no paintings, no drawings, no photographs of them, I don't know how I'd know who they were either. But somehow they knew who it was. And here they are. And they could have been talking about a lot of different stuff. And I've heard this taught in church a lot of times that Moses and Elijah showed up to encourage Jesus because he was getting close to his execution. I can't find that in the text, but I've heard that before. And that Moses and Elijah, they showed up to teach Jesus things. I can't find that in the text. Hard to believe Jesus would need to be taught something. But I've heard that before. But they show up and they talk. And this story is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in one of those accounts, we get told what they're actually talking about. Because I'm like, what, are they, what would they be talking about, you know? Wouldn't it be enough just to, like, reveal your glory? Just to show Peter, James, and John the real you, and they'd be, like, in awe. And you find out in one of the accounts, I'll show you just in here in just a second, but here's what they're talking about. You ready? And that, it's why I shared all this backstory from Matthew chapter 16 with you. Here's what they're talking about. They're talking about Jesus' execution, that he's about to suffer and die. It's in Luke chapter 9. Luke puts it in his account in chapter 9. Let me read it to you. It says this. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. They're speaking about his death, speaking about his crucifixion. That's all the detail we get on it. Now, if you put that in context to what Jesus has just been saying to his apostles for the past week, you could get this picture. He's trying to find another way to say, I need you to see the plan. I need you to know it's really happening. It's going to go down this way. Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Who cares about what you want? This is what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And that's just the way it's going to be. You don't believe what I'm saying? You don't understand how I'm communicating it? Here's Moses and Elijah to back me up. A couple of legitimate good witnesses to back me up on this. To reinforce this plan. And Peter, he's still not getting it. God love him. He's just like me. Just totally screwed up in his head. And always quick to like speak. And so in the next verse, four, verse 4, Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It's like, what are you thinking, Peter? He's like, all right, God, this is great that we're here. Thank you for letting us see. He's actually kind of humble about it. He's like, thank you for letting us be here. It's so good for us to be here. How about if I make some memorials to all three of these great people, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah? And God's going to intervene. He's going to speak down from heaven. He's going to almost have like a drop the mic moment. 
And the very next verse, verse 5, but even as he, Peter, spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Now, if you're like a student of the Bible, you've been in church a long time, that phrase might sound familiar to you because it comes up way back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, when Jesus is getting baptized. Anybody remember that? And when Jesus is getting baptized, he comes up out of the water. And as he's coming up out of the water, the text says that the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. And at the same moment, the voice of God kind of thunders out from the sky above and says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. This is the exact same line. And so you've got like Jesus saying to his followers, like, I'm about to suffer. I'm about to die. This is the plan. Get on board with it. If you're not willing to give up everything you think and all of your plans, you can't be my disciple. This is the way it's going to be. And in case that weren't enough, come with me up on this mountain. I'm going to show you the real me. And then I'm going to have a convo with the two guys you would believe the most besides me. Moses and Elijah, and we're going to talk about that I'm going to go and suffer, and I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day. And just in case that doesn't do it for you, God's going to shout down from heaven, this is my son who I love and brings me great joy. And then he tacks on a line that you don't find when Jesus gets baptized in Matthew chapter 3. At the end, he says, listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him about what? Listen to him about his plan. He's telling you the truth. He's going to suffer. He's going to be abused. He's going to die, but he's going to rise from the dead. They needed to know this. And the truth is, they didn't really get it until after Jesus came back from the dead. But he tried. Oh, man, did he try. And if you read the rest of the book of Matthew, and if you read the rest of the book of Luke and Mark, right after chapter 9 in both those books where this account is recorded, you see multiple times, maybe seven or eight more times, that the text records Jesus tried again to tell him that he was about to die. Jesus tried again to tell him he had to go suffer and die. Jesus tried, even on the very last night they would be together, they're eating a meal together, Jesus' last meal, and Jesus says to him, the time is now. The time is here. I'm about to be betrayed and killed. And they just can't get it. Because what they wanted and their plan was so ingrained in their head, they couldn't see past their own desires to see that Jesus was up to something different. Guys, guys, it's easy to rag on the apostles. It's easy to look at them and just be like, why didn't they just get it? But we would have been no different. The only advantage we have is we get to see it all in the past. They didn't have that. You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody in McCreary County that won't believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. They'll all say that. But don't we have our own plans and our own desires that make it really, really hard to believe that God's plan is right and better than the way we think? Our own stuff that's hard to give up and walk away from? And I love what happens next. So God shouts down from heaven. And then look at verse 6. It says the disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Now, this is interesting because 
this is just like bonus. This isn't really part of the sermon today, but there's been a rash like in the last 30 years in our country of all these people that have seen God and they got stories to tell about it. And a lot of them sound something like this. Oh, I almost died. I saw the Lord. I saw a bright light at the end of a tunnel. I felt warmth. I just saw God. He sat me on his lap and talked to me and I just felt so much peace and comfort. I'm, just, I'm not saying that stuff's not real. I'm just saying that every time in the Bible somebody encountered God, they fell down on their face terrified. They didn't feel warm fuzzies. They were scared. And so just be very careful when you're like, oh yeah, I was out in the woods and I just, God showed up and talked to me. It felt so great just listening to him. I was so at comfort and peace with myself. Like, most of the time when God shows up and says something, people get scared. They fall down flat on their face, don't even want to look at them. They're so afraid. And that's what happened here. But then look at what happens next. Verse 7. Then Jesus came over and touched them, and he said, get up, don't be afraid. Get up, don't be afraid. Now look at verse 8. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. Now that's us. It would be good for us to get to the top of a mountain, to hear the truth of God, to hear God's voice communicating to us his plan, and whatever our plan is, for us to abandon it, and follow his plan and believe it instead. It would be good. But it would also be good for us to be like, I'm a little afraid to even disobey you. I'm a little afraid to even be around you. Like, and, and, to, and, if, and if we were to fall flat on our face in front of God in fear over how passionately I've held on to my own plan, instead of embracing his plan. If I were to fall on my face in fear because of that, I think Jesus would say to me, get up, don't be afraid. And when I got up and looked, all I'd see would be him. Because it isn't about Moses and Elijah. It's just about getting my focus on Jesus. It's just about getting rid of my thoughts my preconceived ideas. I got a good plan. I'll start worshiping this way. I got a good plan. I'll start doing this and call it faith. I got a good plan. I'll start doing whatever I feel like doing and telling everybody I'm a Christian. I got a good plan. I'm just going to do it my way. Maybe you still don't quite get it. And maybe it even scares you just a little bit. That's okay. Let me look back with you real quick at Matthew 16, verse 24 again, because I want you to hear these words from Jesus. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Be willing to die. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So I just ask you guys this morning, is it possible that your whole relationship with Jesus, your whole religious experience to this point, your whole faith that you tell everybody you have and you claim to be a Christian, is it possible 
you've done all of that and come through all of that just for the sweets. Oh yeah, I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I want to see all the glory. I want to see the miracles. I want to be part of it. I want to worship. I love how I feel when I get to sing out and worship Jesus. And he's like, but here's the vegetables. Give up your own way. Do what I say, even if it hurts. That person you're dating that you know is not good for you, walk away from it. That money that you're holding on to, like it's everything to you, start giving it to me. That time that you love to spend just on you, sacrifice it to love on somebody else, to serve them. It is absolutely amazing how much the New Testament has to say about using your gifts to serve other people inside your church and how hard it is to beg people to serve other people inside their church. It is absolutely astounding how much the Bible has to say from God about what we're supposed to do with our money and how hard it is to get people to do the right thing with their money. It is amazing how much God has to say about us spending time with him on a daily basis and how little time we have for him each day. It is amazing how we convince ourselves that our plan is his plan instead of giving up our plan and actually following him. It's amazing. Maybe we need to be a little afraid, a little shaken at our core, but I think Jesus would come to us at three strands today and he'd look at you and he'd say the same thing. Get up. Don't be afraid. I'm the only one around. Just look at me. Tunnel vision. Just keep him on me. Just keep him on me. I don't have enough money. It doesn't matter. Just keep him on me. I don't got any extra time. It doesn't matter. Just keep him focused on me. I don't even like those people. It doesn't matter. You're serving me. Just keep him on me. It's just me and you. Get up. Don't be afraid. Focus your eyes only on me. See, Jesus needed his disciples to see the real him. He needed them to understand his plan, that suffering was coming, that suffering would always come before the glory, that you're so focused on the reward and the heaven and the time with God and all that, but man, you're going to suffer. That's how it's going to be for you. They're not going to get it out there. They're going to think you're acting like an idiot with your money. They're going to think you're absolutely wasting your time. They're going to say this is all fairy tales. It doesn't matter. Just keep them focused on him. I just keep reading. I just keep giving. I just keep serving. I just keep trusting that his plan is better than my plan, that his ways are higher than my ways, that I don't have to see how it's all going to work out. I just give up everything I am, and I embrace everything he says. And it's going to hurt, and there's going to be suffering, but it's worth it in the end. Thirty years after this mountaintop moment, Peter would write a little book in the Bible. We call it Second Peter today, and he would talk about this event. I just want to read you what he wrote. Second Peter chapter one, starting in verse sixteen, he said this: "For we are not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus." We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. 
the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. Because of that experience, because of that mountaintop moment, when we got to see Jesus' glory, we got to hear it confirmed by Moses, by Elijah, by God the Father. We got to hear it confirmed that this was going to be the way. It was going to be suffering and people not getting it and people doubting everything we say and people telling us we're idiots. It was going to be suffering. We were going to be executed for our faith. We were going to be imprisoned and beaten and tortured for our faith. We were going to have everything we loved about this world stripped away from us. But because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. I love this thought. It's like Peter gets it now. Maybe it took 30 years, I don't know. Maybe it just took another six months. But he gets it now. And he's preaching it with all he's got. And he's like, because of what I witnessed, I'm not just making up a story. I saw it all face to face. I saw it all happen. They didn't have that. We have that. We got something better than they had. We got all their accounts. We get to see what they saw through their words, through their writings, through their witness. And he's like, we're not just making up stories to con you, to convince you to give us your money, to trick you into showing up and padding our attendance stats. We're not just trying to uh, run some kind of game on you so, uh, so everybody will think we're something. No, we're giving you the same message that Jesus gave us. It's going to cost you everything. We're not promising you a Cadillac. We're promising you a cross. You get to die. You're welcome. But in exchange, you get everlasting life. If you will give up your life, you'll save it. But if you try to hold on to it, you're going to lose it. And so if you're trying to hold on, and you know what it is, you don't need me to come around the room and be like, I know what your problem is and your problem is. You know. What is that one habit you won't walk away from? Who is that one person who's toxic that you just keep holding on to? What is that thing you love above Jesus? Don't tell everybody you're following him, but you're hanging on to your own plan. It's time to speak plainly. That's really all I have today. In my notes yesterday, I had like two illustrations. A lot of you have heard me preach before. You know that like I like to kind of take God's word and think of a way to kind of communicate it to us that we would, I don't know, relate it to some story or some illustration. I deleted those out of my notes yesterday and I thought, nope, I'm just going to get up there and I'm just going to give them the plain plan. This is it. This is what Jesus did. He's just going to give you the plain truth. You get to choose. You could give up everything now to get everything later, or you can hold on to everything now and lose it all later. It's on you. This is it. You say, don't I need to be saved? Don't I need to cry out for help? Don't I, don't I need Jesus to die on the cross and rise from the dead for me? Absolutely. He did all that for you already. And in our community here, what I've learned a lot of times is like, there's a lot of people that have prayed like the fire insurance prayer. 
You guys ever heard that if you grew up in church? It's like, the, oh, dear God, get me out of hell. I believe Jesus, blah, 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 get me to heaven. You say these magic words, and then all of a sudden, wha-bam, like, you know, the genie sends you to heaven someday. But nothing in your life changes. You didn't really surrender anything. You just keep working your own system. That doesn't exist in God's world. There's no such thing as salvation without surrender. And so I ask each of you today, what is the piece of the plan you don't get? Jesus is trying to lay it out for us super simply. You're going to suffer. It's going to cost you everything. But you get me. Not, not me. That'd be like a real letdown. Like Jesus me. You know what I'm saying there? Boy, that'd be a letdown if you got me. But it's like, he's like, you give up everything. And in exchange, you get me. You have to decide if it's worth it. You have to count the cost and decide. When I stand in front of God at the end of time, and he looks at me, is he going to look at me and say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or is he going to look at you and say, who are you? I don't even know you. Those are the only two things he's going to say. That's it. You got to decide which one he's going to say to you. If he's not going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, today could be the day where you surrender all of it. Just be like, I give up, God. I surrender. I'll do whatever you say. I'll believe whatever you tell me. I'll follow you with all I got. Nothing else matters anymore. Everybody else is going to think I look like an idiot, but I'm just keeping my eyes focused on you. It's your choice. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, this is just the plain truth of your text. Would you open up our ears and our eyes to see and to understand your word? Would you help people in our room right now to have the courage, the courage to act in surrender, to not just listen here, but to go out of here and do the word, to actually surrender their heart to you, let you transform them, show them your glory, and help them become more and more like you each day going to hurt. It's going to be painful. We're going to suffer. But man, is it going to be worth it in the end to stand in front of you? Probably just fall on my face. Probably just fall on my face afraid. But to hear you say, get up, don't be afraid. Just keep your eyes on me. Just worth it, God. Amen. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park building. We hope to see you soon.